I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul is addressing questions from the congregation of Corinth, and uh, those questions, uh, many of them, or a number of them, are tied to problems in the assembly. He's not depending completely on the, the question-answer uh, process for confronting some issues there. There were reports that he had heard as well from the household of Chloe, uh, he had information about uh, immoral things happening in the church. He was aware of conflicts and divisions that were there. And, and so he was speaking to those things and, and addressing them in ways that were God's intention uh, to provide for us uh, information and truth because the, the problems and troubles that they experienced are, are not uh, not exclusively for them, but are common uh, to, to people in this world and common to congregations. And so there is a timelessness to the truth of God uh, for us to consider. In verses or chapter 12 through 14, it's connected to questions of spirituality and particularly spiritual gifts. And there seems to be uh, conflict in the church uh, over selfish use of the gifts. Uh, it, it is, uh, the problem is not in the gifts. It's in the pride of uh, the believers. And they're taking what is a good gift from God and, and uh, making it into something that is being used for self rather than for others. And so, so Paul is writing about that. He, uh, we're not going to cover all three chapters, uh, but the, the pattern that Paul uses is he lays really sort of a theological foundation in chapter 12 and then targets the central sort of ethical issue at stake, and that's love in chapter 13. And then in chapter 14, he starts to address specifically problems in the exercise of the gifts that, that people are using or thinking wrongly about their purpose, and then the practice of them is being done in ways that are contrary to the will of God and how he wants uh, the assembly of God's people to function. Chapter 12 we've been working through, and, and Paul lays the foundation that genuine spirituality is the work of the Holy Spirit and the confession of Christ. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord, it is the evidence that the Spirit of God has given you new life, and therefore you are in that category of being spiritual. Back in chapter 2, he says, the natural man does not receive the things of God, neither can he know them. So, so the natural person, the person lost in their sin and left in their sin, cannot genuinely confess Jesus Christ as Lord and will not do so because his heart is rebellion in rebellion against it. Uh, fallen humans are not, we should not think of them mentally as being irrational in the sense that they can't understand the gospel. We should understand them as being in rebellion against the truth. Right? It says they consider it to be foolish. That's why they won't accept it. 
They have made a judgment on the truthfulness of God's word uh, that, that uh, that, that is a rejection of it and the revelation of the fact that they don't understand true wisdom because the revelation of God about Christ is in fact wisdom. And, and so it's the wisdom of God and the power of God, but they've cut themselves off from it because they sit in judgment over it. But when God opens the eyes of understanding so that a person receives the truth of God, they confess Jesus Christ as Lord. At that moment, which is what we were looking at last week in verses 12 and 13, what we're seeing is the work of the Holy Spirit to form the body of Christ. The the Spirit is placing people into the body of Christ. They become joined to Christ and to the body of Christ. And as well, the Spirit is coming to dwell in them and in the body so that the life of God is being manifested in the life of the believer and the life of the church. And that's where gifts play in. Remember what verse 7 says? That that each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It is the work of the Spirit through the gifts for the benefit of the body. And, And since we've drunk of the Spirit, we've received the Spirit, He came into our lives to indwell and sanctify us and bear testimony to our sonship or that we're a child of God, but also to equip us to serve God and to manifest the life of God in the midst of his people. So the Spirit forms the body and the Spirit fills the body. And the body is to to reflect the, the work of Christ in carrying out the mission of Jesus Christ. That body imagery, he's working from a physical body in verse 12 to a spiritual body in verse 13, and then beginning in verse 14, he starts to, uh, if I could say it this way, tease out the realities of that. So what does that really mean for believers to be the body of Christ? And and that's where we fix our attention tonight, beginning in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason, that is declaring this, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. 
But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So I I pointed out, I think last week, verses 14 and 20 are sort of the the, the two pegs on which the rest of the, the, the verses hang, and they, they essentially take, uh, take the same concept and show two balancing sides of it. 14, the body is not one member, but many. And 20 says, now there are many members, but one body. So it's, it's playing off the one and many. One body, many members. Okay, and, and because there's only one body doesn't mean there's only one member. It's actually there's many members. And the many members don't mean there are many bodies. It actually means there's one body with many members. And so he's, he's playing that and working through. If I could put it in uh, maybe in terms of sort of application implicational terms, verses 14 to 19 really are driving home the truth that you need the body. Right? We, as believers, need the body. And, and that's the principle that he's going to drive home in 14 to 19. And then in 20 to 26, it is the body needs you. Right? You need the body, 14 to 19. The body needs you, 20 to 26. So, so let's just sort of, I'm just going to trace through the, the, the argument, the, the case that Paul makes so we can do that, right? The principles in verse 14, the body has many parts. Again, he's talking now about the body of Christ, but he's doing so by way of analogy to the human body, right? The human body has many parts, and and so does the body of Christ. It's not just one member, but many. That's the principle. A body has many parts, and we should expect that when we think about the congregation of God's people. Verses 15 and 16 are teaching us that parts cannot exclude or exempt themselves from the body. Look at the language. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. So, so the, the basic point, I mean, it's, I don't think it's that hard to get what he's saying is, is that the parts can't exclude themselves from the body. Right? The body is the thing. And a part can't go, hey, I don't want to be a part of the body. Right? If I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. If I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. You've been placed in the body by the ministry of Christ through the Spirit. You don't just to go, hey, I'd like to opt out. Opt out. Right? It, it's actually something that God has done, and it's his purpose and design, we'll see. And so the part can't exempt itself, can't exclude itself. And, and uh, that should shape the way we think about the body. Right? The, the life the, the life of following Christ is life in the body. There's, there's, there's no other kind 
right? We live in, unfortunately, live in a, uh, in a part of the world and in a time in the world where many, if not most Christians, define their Christianity in isolation, solo, right? I'm, you know, I'm just, it's just me and Jesus, and church might be important, but it's not essential, right? It's sort of like a, well, maybe kind of a thing. And, and, and Paul's saying, that's not the way it works, right? The body is the thing, and the parts of the body can't just exempt themselves from participation in the body. They can't just say, hey, I'm out of this. I don't want to have anything to do with this. That's not what it means to actually be a follower of Christ, nor consistent with what God has done for us. The parts are not greater than the body, and the parts are not to live apart from the body. So at the end of the day, I have no, you know, I have no regeneration meter, right? So so I'm going to let God do the assessment on that at the end of all things. But when I encounter somebody who claims to be a Christian but has absolutely no connection to the body of believers, it causes me serious doubt because they're living radically contradictory to what the New Testament talks about, the evidence of being a believer. You've been joined to the body and you live out your life in the body. I mean, at the very least, it, it indicates a kind of selfishness which is inconsistent with the mark of being a true follower of Christ. Remember what John says? If you love one another as I have loved you, then all men will know that you're my disciple. Right? So for somebody to abandon that is effectively to say, I really don't need the mark of being a true disciple that that Jesus said I'm supposed to have. It, it dislocates us from the place where God has designed for us to grow in grace and to be built up into him, to come to maturity. It, it, often, it often represents a kind of um, heart that is unwilling to submit to the responsibilities of life in the body, nor to the authority of God's word teaching. Right? If someone doesn't want the obligations that come with being a Christian, it's not a good window into their heart, is it? I mean, that's why Paul's saying here, you, you can't go, hey, listen, I don't want to be a part of the body. I'm not, I'm not in. Right? He says, does, does that really change it? Does it really do it? Okay, so, so we need to realize the priority in Scripture on the body of Christ. Right? It is not actually a solo endeavor, and it's not all about me. Right? It's, it, Christianity doesn't exist for my self-satisfaction. I was created in Christ Jesus to carry out God's purposes. That's what Ephesians 2.10 is, right? 
God saved me to, to deploy me in his work. And in the time between Christ's first coming and second coming, that work is centered in the body. Right? And, and I can't just like opt out of that. I can't just exempt myself and, and think that that's not a sign of serious spiritual problem. Look at verse 17. Diversity is essential to healthy function. This is his point. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the sense of smell? Right? I mean, so it's, it's sort of like a, a bizarre kind of a picture, right? If, if, like if your whole body was one gigantic eye, it's sort of freaky to think about, but it makes the point, right? If all you are is an eye, you can't hear. If all you are is an ear, you can't smell. In other words, the body won't function right. It is diverse precisely because that's how healthy bodies function, and that's true about the, the congregation of God's people as well, and that leads him to say in 18 and 19, that this diversity is by God's design. The parts are such by his plan, verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Okay, so to, to use his language, uh, if, you know, if you're a hand or you're a foot or you're an eye or you're an ear, that's because that was God's plan. Right? That's, that's, that's the outcome is because of what God desired. That's what verse 18 is saying. It's his plan, and he's given all of those parts so that the functioning of the body can happen. And that leads to verse 19. If all were one member, where would the body be? So, so you look at the body of Christ, and you see the diversity of the parts or members and you, you're supposed to draw the conclusion, look at what God did, verse 18, and look what God did so we could be healthy, verse 19. Right? Because if it was all one part, there wouldn't be a body. So, so here's God's wisdom for the church, is to put the differing parts all into one body so that the body can function healthy in a healthy way, right? Which, uh, which means, in terms of 14 to 19, there are parts of the body that are different than you, and they're different from you because you need them, right? If you're an eye, you need an ear. You need a nose. If you're a hand, you need a foot. Right, so if you're in the body and there are different parts of the body, those parts are given so that you might benefit from them. Because remember the language of verse 7, for the common good. Right, the parts exist for the good of the body and you need them. That's why from time to time I will say something like God has given three major gifts to us for our spiritual health, right? The Word, the Spirit, and His people. 
That's, if you look at the Scriptures, He's given us the Word. He's given us the Spirit to be able to understand and accept the Word. And He's given us God's people to provide the context within which we will be taught the Word, where we'll speak truth to one another, where we'll have the mutual ministry taking place. And He's done that because that's what we need. And I would even say it this way. Let's just, like, uh, you know, our world loves caveats, right? So I'll just toss the one caveat, right? If you're shipwrecked and you're the only person on an island with, you know, with a volleyball, then, okay, maybe this won't be true of you. All right? All right? Everyone else, here's God's plan for your growth to spiritual maturity. Ephesians 4. Christ gave gifts to the church. And those gifts are for the equipping of the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry so that the body will grow up into Christ. Right? So if you're going to come to spiritual maturity the way Jesus designed it for you is inside the body benefiting from the gifts that have been given to the body. Right? So, so we, we need to put to death the arrogance that thinks we don't need other believers. Because that's what it is. Because it's arrogance, because it actually rejects God. Right? It's God who said this. It's God's word that laid it out. If we say, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I could see some people need that, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. Okay, I can I can get to I can get to spiritual maturity on my own. You need to realize that that is the voice of pride in your heart. That's all it is. Because you are thinking that you know better than God. And there's no other way to describe that than pride. Right? Because when a human thinks he knows better than God, it's not an exercise of humility, right? It's an exercise of, of pride. So you need the body. I need the body, right? We all need the body. That's, that's the first part of this in 14 to 19. The second is that the body needs you. The principle is stated in verse 20, but now there are many members, but one body. So if you want to use it in one word labels, 14 is diversity, 20 is unity, right? So 14 is one body, many members. That's the diversity. 20 is there's many members, but one body. That's the unity, all right? And, and so the first is someone thinking that they don't need the body. He's saying you do need the body. You need the diversity that the body brings, Right? The second person that Paul's addressing is the person who doesn't want the body in the sense of the unity of the body. They don't want to contribute to the body in the way that God wants them to. Right? They don't want to be a part that offers value to the body for its unity. So look at the way he turns. I mean, he follows a similar kind of argument, but it's a slight turn in it. Notice verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, 
or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Okay, so, so think about the way he's making the case here, right? The first thing is, well, I'm not the hand, so I'm not a part of the body. I can exempt myself, right? The second part of the argument is going, you can't actually say to another part of the body, I don't need you, right? The first is, I want out. The second was, I don't need you, right? And, and the reality of it is, is that both are wrong, right? We actually do need them. All the parts are necessary so that the functioning can happen the way God wants it to happen. All the, all the parts are needed regardless of status or perceived value. That's what 22 and 23 are saying. Look at 22. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members are parts of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable and those we store more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, which could you know, like tangle your tongue up in it. Here's like the, the simplified version of it, right? There, um, I think most take it as, right, there are, there are parts of my body that are weaker than other parts, right? So, so and we know that. I mean, if we've got organs that are susceptible to damage, but we desperately need them, right? Those, those parts of the body that are weaker are needed. Then he sort of shifts it a little bit and says, there are parts of our body which we don't want to display, but, and therefore we actually spend more time trying to cover them and dress them up and other parts of our body that don't need that, and so we don't spend time doing that. Right? And, and, and so what he's talking about is the, the differences in the body and perception of their value, perception of their honorableness. And he's trying to say all of them are of value. Right? You can't separate them. Even though some seem weaker, they are still needed. The end of verse 22. Some naturally are more honorable or presentable, but all of them are necessary. All right, so so there's, a, there's a unity in the necessity of them all. And then in verses 24 through 26, he drives to God's plan and purpose for this, and that is unity. Notice the end of verse 24, giving more abundant honor to the members that lack so that there may be no division in the body. So why does God want us to have the body composed in this way, verse 24? So that there may be no division in the body. And then the second part, his plan is for unity and mutual care, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it, probably an echo back to the weak. Right, So if, if there is a weakness and they're suffering, all the members suffer with it, and then off the presentable or honorable, and if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So you're not having any division in the body, but a mutual care in the body for it. Right? So again, he's doing an analogy from what we uh, almost easily accept about the human body to the spiritual body of Christ. And that's why he's using these, 
right? So, so there is a need by each part for the body, and there is a need in the body for each part. Right? That's why I said first principle is you need the body because each part, right? Each part needs the body, and the body needs you, right? The body needs each part, and and those are those are set up. By God's design, right? God did it, it says very clearly in verse 18, just as he desired, and verse 24 says, but God has so composed the body. So to go against this is to go against God's plan for the body of Christ. You need the body, the body needs you. All right? That's, that's the, 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 the pressing home issue. So here's what I'd like to do, just, just ask us some questions, right? Probe our, our minds and hearts with it. Right? Do you view yourself as part of the body or just as someone who goes to church here? Right? I mean, that, that's a part of what this would be. Is it, do, when you think of our congregation, do you think of it as just like the place where I go to church? Or do you think of it as the body of which you are a part? Right? And, and, and I, I, uh, I, mean, I really would like to just pause and let this sort of sink in like a little time bomb. Right? Because I think the standard way our culture has taught us to think about church is it's just a place where we go. It's, well, I just go to church there. That's my child. I go to church there. And, and that's why um, decoupling from a church is not that big of a deal. Well, I, yeah, I go to church. I used to go to church there, but now I go to church somewhere else. Right? It's almost like, well, yeah, I used to go to that restaurant. I like that restaurant, but now we go over there. Or I used to buy my cars there, but now I buy them somewhere else. Right? I, and I use this phrase periodically, but we, we in, in our kind of a consumer and autonomous, self-referential culture, we have tended to reduce the church to a, uh, a provider of spiritual goods and services. So, so we view the church as the place where we go, to get our spiritual goods and services. That's, you know, I, I go to church there. And because it's really more than just a store, it's, it's sort of a, a life connection kind of a thing. It's, it's the place where we go to get fulfillment, right? It's, 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 where I, it's where I give back. It's where I make a difference, right? That's the, that's the language of our day. Right? You need to have a place, you, know, you do something to give back. You need to, you need to find a way to make a difference. And so I go to church to give back or to make a difference. And, and, and the, the valuation of it is, is on what I'm getting from it, even in that context, right? It's, it's basically self-oriented volunteerism that dominates our day. And, and, and it's not actually, I'm a part of the body. 
God has worked in my life in such a way to make me something that actually is to contribute to the body and to receive benefit from the body. And I should think about, I should think about departure from that body like dislocation. <laughs> right? That, it, that it's, not, it's not just a, a transaction. It's, it's, it's supposed to be if something happens where you're moving or, or whatever, it's actually like a transplant. <laughs> it's a pretty significant movement. This part of a body is going to be extracted and put onto another body. It's not just going out there to, you know, one little eyeball running around the countryside all by itself. Right? It's actually supposed to be attached to a body because that's God's will. Is the body's life uh, central to your life? Is it, in terms of how you view your life, is it you plan everything out about your life and then see how the body fits in? Right? I mean, it's, I've got plans, dreams, ambitions, long-term. I've got plans for this month, this week, this year. I've, I've, I've you know, nailed out everything that I'm going to do and take care of my stuff. And then I'm going to sort of look at what the body's doing and see where it can fit into my life. Is that really reflective of a, of a mindset like this that says, you need the body and the body needs you. So it shouldn't be like the last tag on. It shouldn't be, well, you know, if the schedule works. It actually should be, what's at the center of my life? Is it God redeemed me so that I might serve him and he's gifted me so that I could exercise the stewardship of that in the one another of the body? How is that controlling the direction of my life? How is it actually shaping the way I live? Not just sort of squeezed in at the margins of it. Do, do we, do you, appreciate God's plan for diversity and health? Right? And, and this is where it gets challenging because that's the rub for this is, I mean, we, you know, we, we naturally like things that fit what we like. And, and that tends to mean we're most comfortable when everything's like us. Right? But the whole point of the body is that there's, there's a diversity there for the purposes of function that means there's going to be, there's going to be differences in the, in the makeup of the body that aren't just like our comfort zone. Right? I, I read a quote from a pastor in Florida, Buck Parsons, I thought was good. I'll share it with you. Right? We all live in a world starving for true friends, genuine community, and meaningful relationships. But that takes love, patience, repentance, and forgiveness. And it only happens if you are willing to risk 
your temporary discomfort for long-term joy. Right? The only way you actually move to the kind of health that the body has is if you're willing to actually accept the discomfort that comes with that, of sometimes being with people who aren't exactly like you, maybe don't have the same gifts and interests and desires that you have for ministry. And, and God's intention is to build out the body by the combination of those, not the subdividing of those, right? That we're actually supposed to be functioning together instead of wanting to go, hey, all the eyes over here and all the ears over here and all the hands over here, because we'll work better if we just get lined up by our function, right? That doesn't work in a body, right? A body actually has to have the kind of interaction that, that, that honors and utilizes the functions that are there. Do you move toward all the parts or is your attention and concern limited to the parts most like you or most honorable? And I know we're all different. I mean, I, we're, you know, if you take in terms of outgoing, not outgoing, introvert, extrovert, all that, I mean, I recognize there's a lot in stake, and I'm not trying to pound round uh, pegs into square holes. That's probably easier than square into round holes, right? But you know what I mean. But here's the issue: is do you do you do you move toward? Right, because this this is honestly can be the tension in a church, uh, any church, but a church our size. Right, it is possible for you to create a sub ecosystem of social interaction with just your friends, and your acquaintances, and and the people that you're comfortable with. Right, and and never break out of that. I would suggest that that is contrary to the truth that Paul's talking about here. We, we all do have, you know, we have shared interests, we have common stages of life and all that. I'm not, I'm not trying to obliterate that, but it can easily become, we, we create a component or a compartment where we feel most comfortable because we're around people we like. And that, that is actually separating us from the body. It's creating a subcategory which is primarily a social component and not the life of the Spirit to help us move toward one another in unity and mutual care. Right? And, and, and so I would, I would urge us all to think about how we should do battle against that. Right? If that's if, if when I ask that question in your heart, you go, yeah, that might be true of me. I have a pretty limited circle of people that I interact with because they're my friends or they're connected to me in some way. Right? If you would say yes to that question, then I would ask the question, I'd just drop it out there for you to think about, what are you going to do to change that? Right? If you believe 
that the body needs you and you need the body, I just reverse those, right? You need the body and the body needs you. Then what are you going to do to break out of the sort of subdivide that you've built around yourself? So that you're moving toward people that God would want you to be united with and care about, right? That you would be able to weep with and rejoice with. You're moving toward them and, and, and doing that. Do you think, and I think this is one that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I, uh, I'll just say it. Do you think someone else is responsible to care for the other parts? Right, because this is um, this, and I'm going to, Lord willing, come back to this next week. But but here's the thing: is that what's going on here in our 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 sinful responses and our cultural responses is to perhaps go, yes, 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 yes. I sure hope somebody does that. Right? I mean, we. We are very quick to think, boy, that person didn't get cared for. Why didn't somebody care for them? Not go, boy, I dropped the ball there. I should have watched what was happening and moved toward it. I should have shown the kind of care that this passage is talking about because it's the body that does it. All of us, right? It's not subdivided off to some, some group. Hey, here's the official care people over here. The rest of us just can go on with life, right? It's supposed to be the whole body functioning. And, and what, what we have to do is, I think, be honest with ourselves about that. I, I would say, and that's why I, I, I sort of hesitated at the beginning, there is, there is no doubt that uh, people who are shepherds have an absolute responsibility for this, right? And so um, I, think, I think this is true before God. Um, I find myself repenting a lot, right? And saying, God, I've got to do better, Right? And if I see that our church is not as caring in some circumstances as they ought, I, the first thing I do is look in the mirror, not out the window. Right? I, I, I see that as a failure on the part of, of my leadership if we fail to be the kind of caring church we should be. Right? I mean that more deeply than you probably will ever realize. But that doesn't mean that there are not other responsibilities, right? Right? People, people who are right next to the problem have a responsibility to move toward it, right? And, and if we're going, we're, we're like we're right next door to it, we see it, we know it, and we're thinking, boy, I hope somebody else does something about it. That's contrary to this text, right? This, this text would say the part of the body 
should be moving toward the whole body, toward the other parts, should be working to bring care and unity to the body. Right? Here's the thing we've got to, it's all of our responsibility. Right? Every one of us who have owned our relationship to this body have an obligation from Christ to seek the mutual care and unity of the body. It's not a program, it's not a system, it's, it's, it's the function of the Spirit of God in and through our lives, which means we've got to deepen that reality. Right? You have something that this body needs. And this body has something that you need. And, and if that's ever going to, if that kind of mutual thing is going to happen, it's got to be because the body is constantly pressing toward itself. The parts are pushing toward the body, not exempting themselves or not trying to exclude parts. Right? That's what Paul's after. You can't pull away and you shouldn't be pushing away. You should be moving toward because that's God's desire. That's God's plan. That's what he wants the body of Christ to be and to do. And, and the devil doesn't want that. And our flesh resists it. So we need to be attentive to it with a kind of glad submission to the truth of God as revealed in the scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift it is to be a part of the body of Christ where we have access to all of the resources that you have designed into the body and the work of the Spirit through those parts to build up the body. Lord, you, you've given us what we need, and we thank you for that. And you've given us something to contribute to the body. That we have uh, a role and a purpose, and, and you desire for us to be good stewards of that grace that you've entrusted to us. And so, Lord, help us uh, to think about these things and, and meditate on them so that our progress will become evident. Lord, it, in, a, in a world like ours where we face the, the attacks of the evil one, that he would love to gain advantage over our congregation. He roars and prowls around seeking those to devour. We, we desperately need the protection that you have given to us in the congregation of your people. And we desperately need to be deliberate and intentional about fulfilling the role that you've given us. From the youngest to the oldest, from the most visible to the one that serves almost without being seen by anybody but you. Make us faithful, Lord. Give us hearts to love Christ, 
to love his body and to be faithful stewards of what's been entrusted to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.